We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by regular commentator Ross Feingold. Good evening. And on the telephone by Taipei-based journalist Ralph Jennings. Hi, Gavin. Tonight we'll be discussing allegations that a retired military intelligence bureau colonel passed confidential information to China, arrests being made following an attack on a Taipei restaurant that employs Hong Kongers seeking to remain in Taiwan, the Central Election Commission's rejection of two referendum proposals on drafting a new constitution, the government touting a planned Taipei to Ilan high-speed rail link and a poll that breaks down where people in Taiwan get their information about science from. But we'll begin with a birthday party and an alleged false design atop a birthday cake that led to some fisticuffs in Fiji. I am, of course, referring to allegations that a member of Taiwan's mission to the South Pacific Island country was assaulted by two Chinese officials at a Double Ten National Day event hosted by Taiwan's representative office there. The incident occurred more than two weeks ago but only made headline news here after Deputy Foreign Minister Harry Tsung on Monday of this week confirmed foreign news reports concerning the alleged assault. Now, Foreign Minister Joseph Wu on Tuesday said evidence relating to the incident has been handed over to Fiji's Foreign Ministry and Police Department. And that statement came after Fiji's Acting Permanent Secretary for Foreign Affairs was quoted by the Fiji Times as saying that his office had not received any diplomatic notes from either the Taiwan Trade Office or the Embassy of China about the incident. Now, the Fiji Times also reported that the country's acting police commissioner, well, he supposedly said that authorities are not conducting any further investigations into the allegations as the matter is being handled at the diplomatic level, as has been agreed on by all parties involved. Now, the alleged assault took place after two members of China's embassy in the Fijian capital of Suva attempted to enter the double 10-day celebrations without invitations. They reportedly managed to take photographs of guests at the event before being asked to leave. However, they reported later returned and that's when a physical altercation broke out. Now the Chinese embassy has claimed that it was their staff who were assaulted and in Beijing a foreign ministry official told reporters there that a false national flag was openly displayed at the scene and the cake was also marked with a false national flag. He also went on to describe the reception as a violation of the One China principle. Now Joseph Wu responded to that statement saying that Taiwan is a sovereign state and its missions all over the world hold national day receptions and have been doing so for many, many years. He went on to say that bullying Taiwan will not make China great and the staff of the Taiwan mission in Fiji will not back down from their duties, which include defending Taiwan's dignity and national interests. And Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Joanne O oh told reporters that the ministry is considering the possibility of bringing a lawsuit against the Chinese diplomats involved in the incident. So, Ross, being a lawyer, a lawsuit against these Chinese nationals who were allegedly involved in the incident, you said going anywhere. No, I don't. Uh... Uh, who knows well, how Fiji Fijian law would would uh, 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 handle such a, a suit? It's not clear what they're suing for. Destruction of the cake? Well, I guess we could say, Gavin, that such a lawsuit really would take the cake. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, maybe if if the individuals who work for the the Taipei representative office or the trade mission, as they uniquely call it, there uh, were were injured, they want to take uh, legal action in a personal capacity. You know, just as if uh, Gavin, you were to assault me because. You don't like what I say on the, on Taiwan this week. Uh, maybe there'd be criminal charges, uh, but maybe also I would seek uh, uh, civil compensation as well if the law uh, allowed for that. And 
you know, we, why, you know, we know the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, you're listening to this show. We know they love Taiwan this week. Why would you waste your time and resources pursuing a lawsuit? I, I think this is better handled in the court of uh, not not just public opinion, but global public opinion. And I, I think it's fair to say that Taiwan uh, received uh, positive media coverage over this incident. And the Chinese diplomats behavior was not portrayed in a positive way in, in the global media reports. Uh, pursuing a lawsuit, though, against the Chinese diplomats who probably are not going to be there. They're going to claim diplomatic immunity anyway. Uh, that, that, that seems like taking the, the PR front or the PR battle for this incident off into a rather ridiculous direction. So I would, I would discourage MOFA from doing that. I would think that the foreign ministry or somebody here would file a lawsuit for the sole reason of keeping this alive, as Ross said, in kind of the PR space, because that's what civil suits can do, even if you don't win or lose them. Um, there's the, the, the summons and there's the, the depositions and there's one thing after another that you can <clears throat> walk out and say, hey, we're doing this and everybody remembers the case and Taiwan looks like a victim again and China looks like a bully again. I should think that if there was actually um, a crime committed that somebody in, in, in Fiji would see it as a big enough case to do a police report and have the prosecutor look at it and take it to, to the criminal system. That way that's what you're supposed to do. But of course, Ross, the Fijians, are, they seem to be ooing and ahhing about whether they're actually going to investigate it or not. Well, the, the, there is another potential angle here, which might be that there really is nothing to investigate. So uh, yeah, it's clear that the Chinese diplomats showed up at the event. Uh, probably not a good idea, uh, their purpose in doing so. Uh, my assumption is they simply wanted to see who from uh, Fiji government, politicians, uh, business people, uh, so from Fiji society showed up at this event as well. Some of those people probably interact with the Chinese embassy. The Chinese embassy might have felt that they're playing both sides. Or they might have been looking to see who uh, in, in Fiji society or government is, is a, a more outspoken, uh, enthusiastic supporter of Taiwan and wanted to record that information. But but clearly, it was not a prudent thing to do to show up at this event. But what happened at that point, it's clearly going to be a he said, she said uh, set of facts. Uh, so uh, did the Taiwan people go up to him and, and, and say, leave? Yeah, we know that happened. Uh, but who pushed who first and, and what transpired after that? Who threw the first punch or the second punch, who threw harder punches, uh, that would probably make pursuing a, a criminal case for uh, assault and battery or something like that extraordinarily difficult, besides, again, the obvious, uh, which is that the diplomats would claim diplomatic immunity and, and may have already or, or shortly will leave Fiji. And of course, Ralph, while Joseph Wu, the foreign minister here, says that he's given evidence to the Fijian authorities, of course, he hasn't actually divulged any information about said evidence, whether there's any CCTV footage of the actual fisticuffs taking place. Yeah, we don't know what the evidence is unless the foreign ministry wants to share that with with the rest of the public. It It could range from, you know, yeah, destruction to the cake, as we mentioned earlier, all the way up to somebody being injured and hospitalized. CCTV footage, and I don't mean China Central TV, I mean closed circuit. It could be any of that or something else. And um, if the Fijian authorities would care to release it or act upon it, then presumably we'll know what it is someday. Right, I mean, Ralph, do you see this happening more often now? It's happened once in Fiji. Do you see the Chinese officials trying to gate crash events at other Taiwan trade missions in other countries in the future? It could be. I, I kind of doubt that they will because it just it makes them look bad, and China looks bad enough for a whole list of reasons that we don't need to 
review here, but it, just, it's, it seems kind of petty. It makes you wonder why are they using, you know, random violence to get back at, at uh, Taiwan when they, they have other means and they, you know, try to call themselves a, a peaceful nation and all that. So I, I suspect that the foreign ministry in Beijing is probably, on the contrary, telling its missions in various countries to, to lay off and, and let China, you know, the foreign ministry and the people in Beijing take things up in their own way. And Ralph, of course, Beijing has done. Beijing has made accusations against countries before, and of course, it's, there's been questions about whether the central government in Beijing okayed these things to happen. I mean, do you think these two diplomats possibly took this on them? That took them took this on themselves to gate crash the event, or do you think they possibly could have been told by someone higher up in Beijing, "Go see if you can get in"? I kind of think they did. They probably did gate crash it. Perhaps they were told by Beijing to go look, just to, to scope it out take some photos, gather what they can, and come back. Um, and that might be something that's more routine. Um, perhaps these, you know, the individuals sent by China were um, not of the highest moral character. Perhaps they had um, been to some other parties involving certain um, liquids and cans and bottles and things like that that went into their system, and they acted upon that when they got to Taiwan's party. Uh, yeah, this remains to be seen because we'll fortunately have to wait another year for an October 10th uh, uh, set of National Day parties at the Taiwan representative offices around the world to to occur. But there are other activities that the Taiwan representative offices do do participate in uh, over the course of a year. So actually, there might be opportunity uh, for what you described as gate crashing by Chinese diplomats, Gavin, to, to occur again. Uh, and then we'll know the answer to your question, whether or not this has become a, a kind of Odd standard operating procedure uh, of Chinese diplomats to to protest. You know, up to, up to now, uh, this, this kind of thing occurred more at international events, whether it was some kind of intergovernment organization uh, or a private private sector, civil society, uh, international organization, you know, gatherings or uh, doctors or uh, environmental organizations where the Chinese delegation uh, might protest the presence or the name of the delegation from Taiwan. Uh, but, but again, if, if, if it's a new set of standing orders uh, or standard operating procedure uh, for diplomats to go and scope out the Taiwan events uh you know time will tell and of course security ross i mean do you think well you you know know, we we often talk about that uh on your show gavin that some of the the security leaks or shortcomings in the taiwan government whether it's information security uh online uh, or hard copy we're going to talk about that (laughs) with an espionage case involving the potential passing of documents to China. Uh, so that that's clearly something that the Ministry of Foreign Affairs uh, should look into, uh, the security at events, at, at the venues themselves, even in a, a location with a small population, you know, a country with a small population, uh, an event that had a small number of it, relatively small number of attendees, I'm talking about in Fiji specifically, other locations around the world where they have much larger events, whether it's a London, Paris, uh, Washington, D.C., New York. Uh, but there's one more really important uh, point here, which is not just the security. Say you, know, you ask the hotel to put uh, put up more more barriers, uh, in, in, uh, but it's the staff, right? The, the the security culture, just like the safety culture here in, in Taiwan that we often talk about with transportation or again information security. Uh, the the personnel, you know, the the diplomats of Taiwan need to be better 
better trained, whether it's it's at events or at their office spaces to, to con- control the flow of people in and out. Uh, clearly, they need some improvement. And then the other thing they need, they might need improvement is uh, maybe some self-defense lessons, uh, martial arts, something like that, or alternatively, anger management. Because if this, and I don't mean that by way of criticism, but if this is going to become a standard thing for the Chinese diplomats to do, then the, the Taiwan diplomats do need uh, some training in how to not just get into a back and forth, how to remain calm, call security, et cetera, et cetera, and, and just avoid getting into a physical confrontation with the Chinese diplomats who might suddenly show up at Taiwan uh, organized events. So, Ralph, better training for diplomatic staff abroad there. Yeah, I, I think the anger management part is a good idea um, it, it, because if these things become politicized, it become they go public as, as this one has, then if the Taiwanese side can remain calm, um, without getting hurt, of course, they can call security. Security responds really fast. They get rid of the, the attackers. Uh, then Taiwan looks pretty good. They look calm and rational, whereas the Chinese don't. That's good for PR as well. So de-escalation is needed in future. Anyway, moving on, and we talked about claims of Taiwanese spies operating in China last week, but this week we have allegations that several retired military intelligence bureau officers from Taiwan have been gathering information for Beijing. Now, the Taipei District Prosecutor's Office announced that it searched the residences of three former military intelligence bureau officers late Tuesday. Now, one of them was ordered detained by the Taipei District Court, while the other two suspects have been released on bail of 150,000 NT. The detained former military officer, Colonel Zhang Jiaran, is alleged to have in- introduced other retired MIB officers to Chinese national security or authorities and also allegedly passed on confidential intelligence to China. However, he's maintaining his innocence and while being escorted into the Taipei District Prosecutor's Office, he yelled at reporters that the allegations against him were slander and he went on to claim to have been Taiwan's first spy to operate in China who served during the 1989 Tiananmen Square protests and of course, Ross, that, 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 little, that thing was caught on television with the poor policewoman not really knowing whether to drag the old man upstairs or be polite to him. Isn't that uh, funny, Gavin? Because we were just talking about training for Taiwan government agency staff and, and securing venues, securing uh, situation people, information. And then we have uh, a perp walk, as we like to call it in English, uh, which is very common in Taiwan with high profile cases. There always seems to be an opportunity, whether it's at the entrance to a, a police station or the courthouse uh, or, or, or a, a gate that remains open so that the media could film inside the, the car park, the parking lot uh, of a police station or the court uh, w- w- when the uh, accused is being transferred from from the what you call the paddy wagon, uh, I, I guess, back in England uh, I- into the, the facility. And, and there always seems to be a chance to, t- to film them. Uh, and they, they often hold up their hands, showing their handcuffs because, you know, they're, they've been they were always falsely accused, right? No one's ever guilty, uh, as, as the, the accused in this case is. Uh, so they, they, of course, should have controlled that situation a little bit better, not not give him an opportunity to try and score a cheap PR victory. But, but the, the jokes aside, the more important issue here is is uh, the, the level of penetration by China into Taiwan's national security establishment, whether it's uh, civilian agencies uh, or, or the uniform military. It's an ongoing problem. We know it happens. Whether or not the, these individuals are going to be uh, charged or found guilty you know, remains to be seen as the investigation or, or any trial plays out. So you know, it's, it's sad to see. Uh, it's unfortunate. Um, but we're not surprised, and uh, we, we should 
support the authorities, encourage the authorities within the scope of the law not to do anything unlawful, but uh, hopefully they're conducting investigations in accordance with the law as well. They obtain search warrants when necessary, et cetera. Uh, and there'll be more of these cases uh, because we want the authorities to uh, stop this from happening. I mean, Ralph like Ross said there'll be more of these cases. There's been lots of cases in the past. Do you think the, the people that do gather intelligence from China do it, do it for political gain, political values? Or do you think it's more a question of money? Uh, my understanding is that the people here who do it, and probably the people on the other side too, are doing it for money. They, they get paid um, by, the, by whichever side is gaining from the information to do it. I don't know what the, what the fees are, um, but they... they People who are obviously well placed to have the information, and um, if you pull it off without getting caught, then, um, then you get paid. I think that's how it works. Well, it's unfortunate that people would would be willing to sell the national security of Taiwan for for a few dollars, uh, but. Uh, you know, again, you know, it happens, right, Gavin? We also have the cases going back many years of national security officials stealing money, right? They, they stole the money that they were supposed to pay the, t- the China spies, right? There, there's been cases of that over the years. Uh, you know, you, you, some people will say it's political, so I think your, your question was, uh, was interesting. Uh, you know, there, there, there's always the accusation that too many people in the military or the national security agencies still have a, a pro-unification view. I, I think that's a broad genera- generalization. That's not necessarily true. Uh, there's some people maybe who just want to avoid a war, but that doesn't justify uh, violating their oaths uh, or violating the law either. Uh, but uh, it, it really does sad make me sad to say, but this is just going to happen again and again. And Ralph, obviously, the three, the three gentlemen that were arrested this week were, of course, elderly. Do you think possibly if it was for money, the government could look at maybe increasing military pensions to stop sort of retired military officials who basically don't have enough money, have enough money? Yeah, I wouldn't be able to comment on their particular financial situations. It could be they have plenty of money and Wants, you want to buy some more properties and hand some of it off to their kids or something like that. I have no idea. It would be reckless of me to speculate on individual people, but um, I suppose you could never have enough money. Yeah, but Gavin, uh, as you know, the, the pensions, this issue's been dealt with. Pensions have been cut. So uh, there, you talk to older military, uh, retired military personnel, uh, they some of them are still angry uh, that, that uh, the current government... Um, uh, legislature uh, enacted pension reform, which did reduce uh, the, the amount of money that military retirees get. They feel that uh, they, they were given a deal and then the terms were changed much, much later after they had completed their service on the assumption that they would receive a pension of a certain amount of money. Uh, whether that's a motivating factor uh, for these particular individuals or other individuals, uh, you know, it certainly will, will be informative if uh, they get to court. They say, yeah, I did it. I did it because uh, this government cut my pension. Well, you know, time will tell. And we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Anyway, in another legal case this week, police in Taipei have arrested a total of four suspects now following a chicken feces attack on a restaurant that offers work opportunities to young Hong Kongers. Now, the incident occurred last Friday and police detained the main suspect shortly after he threw the chicken feces at the Aegis restaurant. Police say that suspect initially told them that he carried out the attack because he suffered from a stomachache after dining there.
there. But he later went on to say that he was paid 15,000 NT by three men to spray the diner with faeces. Now, the other three suspects, ironically enough, were arrested outside the Taipei District Court because apparently they'd gone to the court to see how the guy that they paid to do it was getting on after he got caught, one would presume. Anyway, they were arrested on charges of vandalism, public insult, extortion and injury. Now, a female employee from Hong Kong was splashed in the face with the chicken faeces and the restaurant's equipment was all contaminated, needless to say, with dirty matter. Now, the Aegis restaurant was opened in April of this year by Hong Kong lawyer Daniel Wong Kwok Tong and it provides employment to Hong Kong protesters and other people from Hong Kong who fled the city to Taiwan following the 2019 anti-extradition law protests. So, Ralph, not making a pun of it, a dirty situation there. These, these all four suspects are denying it, doing for doing it for political reasons. But do you think possibly there's Hong Kong people here opening a restaurant? They're a bit of a target for the possible sort of retribution, one could say. It, it sounds a little bit like some of these cases um, that we've seen before, not involving anybody from Hong Kong, but sometimes involving um, pro-TBP activity and pro-Taiwan independence activity. You do occasionally see some outbreaks that are uh, organized possibly, possibly by um, agents who are sympathetic to Chinese and Taiwanese unification, um, some of the the, uh, the minor political parties here. So it could be a case like that where they were paid to go after that restaurant. Um, I don't know why they would target that particular place. Um, I, it's um, perhaps the people working there were doing more than just working there. They were could have been political in some way that, that uh, you and I can't quite see from where we sit. Um, but it does feel like there, it was orchestrated and the orchestration was political uh, from behind the scenes. I, I would expect once these guys uh, get to court or uh, the, the, as the criminal process plays out, uh, they, they're not going to get a very serious uh, uh, punishment. It could be a monetary fine or a relatively short time in, in, in jail, and whoever paid them will probably pay them even more money uh, uh, to compensate for uh, any fines or, or jail time. I, I don't think this really ultimately means much in, in, this, in the, the overall scope of Hong Kong-Taiwan relations, including the relocation of, of people from Hong Kong to Taiwan. This is not going to scare them off. Uh, it won't be the first or the last time that, that these kinds of things happen. Uh, they are a target for, for certain individuals or groups. Uh, so uh, you know, people in Hong Kong, I think they're, they're used to uh, dealing with the police if, if they are protesters and if they left Hong Kong and, and relocated to Taiwan. Uh, you know, they, they know that uh, they're bad actors who might be looking for them. But uh, again, I don't think this would uh, stop people who want to leave Hong Kong and come to Taiwan. From, from They're not going to think Taiwan is safe, or unsafe, I should say. They're not going to think that Taiwan uh, doesn't welcome them because clearly there, there's a, uh, whether it's the government or public media, uh, there, there, there's a relatively welcoming attitude for, for people from Hong Kong, especially people who, uh, like, like Mr. Lam, the bookseller, who have a higher profile and relocate to Taiwan, uh, so uh, it's it's unfortunate, but uh, I, I think overall it's it, people are going to forget about this story pretty quickly. And of course, Ralph Ross there mentioned Mr. Lan, the bookseller. He was, of course, doused in red paint the day before his bookshop opened. Yeah, thanks for jogging my memory about that. That's another case that we should be mindful of, and it's not just 
again, it's not just people from Hong Kong who may or may not be politically motivated themselves. It's also against uh, Taiwan's own youth and some of the um, kind of the more independent-leaning political factions here. They've also been um, victimized by sort of minor acts of violence. So um, I think there's, there's something behind that. Um, it's been going on for a long time. Whether these the, the four suspects get a heavy sentence or not could depend on the judge and uh, what um, what the judge's political sentiments are as well. Anyway, we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. And welcome back to Taiwan This Week. And two referendum proposals on drafting a new constitution have been rejected by the Central Election Commission on the grounds that their wording lacked clarity and did not meet procedural regulations. Now, both the constitutional proposals were initiated by independence advocate Gu Guan Min. Now, one of them asked, do you support the president in pushing for the establishment of a new constitution reflecting the reality of Taiwan? While the other begged the question, do you support the president in initiating a constitutional reform process for the country. Now, the Election Commission argued that some of the wording was, oh well, it was a bit off apparently according to the Election Commission, most notably the use of the words pushing for, reflecting the reality of Taiwan and initiating a constitutional reform process. Now, the rejection though is not deterring Gu and the Taiwan New Constitution Foundation from seeking to get their referendum proposals out there. And speaking to reporters earlier this week, Gu said the biggest obstacle to the country's normalisation and development is the constitution of the Republic of China and he said that he believes a new constitution needs to be drafted so Taiwan's future can be determined by its 23 million citizens. So Ross, Mr Gu, very famous man when it comes to independence but the wording in the referendum proposals was a bit off, so they say. Gavin, you used the, 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 such a great description because you said it begs the question. So, you know, it begs the question, why did he bother? Because you know, he, he could have privately beforehand through through channels, look, you, as you said, this is a very prominent individual within the, the uh, movement to establish a, a new country called Taiwan with a new constitution to uh, put the Republic of China into uh, 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 retirement permanently including its constitution. Uh, so they certainly has channels to uh, have a conversation with the Central Election Commission. He, you know what? He probably did. And they told him we're not going to approve these referendums. Uh, but he still went ahead and, and submitted the proposal just, just to have a, a, a PR moment. I don't think that's productive to achieve your goals because no one's going to remember this a few weeks or a few months from now, especially because the government has established a constitutional reform uh, uh, committee. They're kicking off that process. They probably will make some proposals for constitutional reform. Obviously, it's not going to be or include changing the country's name or or, the real sensitive issues. It's going to be more day-to-day kind of government operational or maybe the justice system kind of issues that will be in the the constitutional reform proposals that get put to the public. so, you know, you know, bless bless his soul there, Mr. to Mr. Goo, but uh, he, he's going about what he wants to achieve in, in a somewhat odd way, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think, I don't know how old Mr. Goo is at the moment. He's um, 97. Yesterday, so not, he's, not, he's 97. Okay, so uh, he, he's clearly at and above the age where a lot of guys here just like to make a mark 
and they want to be remembered for something, and he doesn't have a you know a political title like president or premier or anything like that, as far as I know. So he um, this, is, this may be something that he's doing um, so that he can be remembered and written about and uh, honored in some some form, like a lot of guys here tend to do. Um, uh, as 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 you mentioned, there's a a constitutional reform committee out there already. So I think I'm sure that the uh, the Thai government and her her, her political party are moving on this very, very, very cautiously um, because um, if they were to change the constitution to get rid of ROC and enshrine Taiwan as a country, um, constitutionally speaking, that would obviously outrage China and we'd have even more of these uh, little planes coming over the median line and perhaps a little closer. And of course, Ross. After Mr. Gu went and said we're not giving up, DPP lawmakers this week were members of the Taiwan Basic, what's it called? Sorry, I'm miles away. The Taiwan Normal Country Promotion Association. They came out and said, well, we're going to give you our plans for amendments to the Constitution. And those plans were, of course, to basically changes to how Taiwan's territory and existing national boundaries are defined, removing references to national unification, and that the island be referred to as Taiwan in foreign affairs and international organisations. Now, the DPP lawmakers also are asking for the removal of mention of the Taiwan provincial government and the addition of a clause that describes the current status of Taiwan's administrative system. Well, eventually they'll they'll get they'll reach a point that that's a Taiwan solution, right? Where uh, they won't get all that they want. They'll get a, a, you, you gave you gave a long list of things that they're seeking. They'll get some of those, but the government will come up with. Keeping by the government's the same party; it's their friends. Uh, they're, they're all on the same team. Ultimately, they all want the same thing, uh, which is to uh, establish a country called Taiwan, and, and as I said earlier, uh, retire permanently the Republic of China title and constitution. But uh, President Tsai and her, her team uh, in the executive branch and in the presidential office, they're, they're eventually going to come down uh, in, a, in a place which says uh, you know, we could move forward with some of the more operational things that, that have an impact on the day-to-day operation of government. And it could include uh, you know, the, the, some of the description stuff uh, about, about the, the, the boundaries. It could include some of the uh, long-term unification wording or in the period before long-term unification wording that, that appears in the Constitution or its amendments at, at present. Uh, but but some of the other things that are more sensitive that might trigger uh, a military response from China or uh, worry in the international community, despite their support for Taiwan, uh, the the government will probably uh, say, oh, it's not convenient at this time to proceed, or there's no society consensus yet on these items, so we'll just proceed with the ones that we think there is a society consensus on. Uh, so the government will talk its way out of, of the more uh, uh, notable or, or some would say aggressive actions or, or constitutional changes in, that go in the direction of uh, making Taiwan a de jure, by law, a country called Taiwan. Uh, it'll be that kind of compromise. And of course, Ralph, these DPP officials, they did stress when they announced their plans for amendments to the Constitution, they had no plans to change the island's flag or the national anthem. Yeah, I've had some conversations with people in the party about that before, at least with one person, um, and he was as I mentioned before, very, very cautious about the whole thing. There's no guarantee about how far this would go or whether anything would even be approved. And he kept emphasizing, this was earlier in the year or late last year, that this is exploratory and, you know, there's nothing, you know, don't get your hopes up about anything. 
but I, I, what I suspect is they will push for some kind of, you know, baby steps so they can go on record saying they they did something. They can make the you know the more hardline independent people happy for a while because the party is has a lot of different um, opinions within it. So um, those people need to be satisfied, like everybody else. So they will do enough to go on record saying they did it. Uh, well, that. Then we're going to sort of be uh, going back and forth on this, right? So in the current uh, phase or, or period of discussion until we actually have proposals that go in front of the, the, the legislature and ultimately the public, uh, if it plays out the way uh, we've been discussing in this segment, uh, there'll just be all this back and forth and there'll be some people saying, oh, you don't want to go far enough and you don't love Taiwan enough and you're not bold. And, and uh, in a way that's unproductive. There's another way to go about this, Gavin, which would be for the president, since she ultimately uh, has uh, an inordinate amount of say, especially uh, with regard to what, what people within the party, legislators, other personalities propose, is she, she would just Come out now and say what uh, what ideas or, or what uh, changes to the Constitution she would prefer. Right? She she's popular. She has enormous amount of moral authority. Being president, who was recently reelected by a large margin, she certainly has political capital. So th- this is kind of similar to those referendums in, in 2018, where President Tsai and, and, and her, her team were very, very silent. And, and then they wound up getting stuck with a, a ballot that had lots of referendums, a whole bunch that were approved by the public that were the opposite of the government's policy goals at the time. Uh, so uh, I, I think we could short shorten the, the length of time we discuss this, save a lot of resources if the president would just come out and say clearly, and, and not, not say something like, oh, we're so happy we have this process. We're going to listen to all voices of society. You know, cut, cut away you know, th- this kind of nice talk and just say, uh, I, as president, I prefer the following four items. And, and, and she's a lawyer, so she could also speak from a legal perspective as well, besides being president and, and a popular president. Uh, but we could just move on with this pretty quickly if the president would make clear what what constitutional changes she would like to see. I mean, Ralph, do you see President Simon coming out and doing this? I think Ross is correct that if she did, it would make a, a big impact. All the debating would, would stop and people would just do it, whatever she wanted, because she has the mandate and the popularity. But I don't think she will at this point because she doesn't want to be seen as a boat rocker with China, with the United States, and she's staked her reputation on cross-strait relations so far by just kind of holding, you know, holding firm on what we have um, without pushing for any kind of change and focusing instead on the domestic agenda and other foreign relations and things like that. So if she were to take a stand on her own, it would be seen by China, maybe by the U.S., maybe by the international community as pushing that that envelope um, in a direction where she hasn't pushed it before, which could raise more questions offshore about what she's doing. And moving away from politics, well, direct politics anyway, and Premier Su Jing Chung this week announced that the Cabinet is moving ahead with a much-touted plan to build a high-speed rail link from Taipei to Ilan. Now, according to the Premier, a route has been chosen that bypasses the Faithsway Reservoir catchment area, and it's hoped that experts will sign off on the line as soon as possible. Su is also calling on the Taipei, New Taipei and Ilan County governments to provide support for the line's construction, and that support includes land acquisition, planning for urban renewal, 
renewal and also traffic maintenance. Now, the Ministry of Transport had proposed three possible routes for the high-speed rail line to Elan, and while two of them were the shorter routes, they both passed through the reservoir's watershed, which of course is problematic because the Faithsway Reservoir is a major source of clean water for the Greater Taipei area. So, Ross, do we need a high-speed rail to Elan? That's the question. Can we wait 10 years for one? And do we want to spend 176 billion NT simply to cut the travel time from Taipei's Nangang Station to Elan to a mere 17 minutes? Well, those are a series of very difficult questions, but there there might actually be a simple answer, which is ultimately this is political. This is about uh, making the residents of Elon happy, although it should be said there, there are going to be vociferous opponents for environmental reasons, uh, even though uh, you said it, it's not going to go through the catchment area, but it's still going to involve, a, you know, as you said, uh, appropriation of land. Some of that might be by eminent domain, and, and ultimately uh, there will be some destruction, for lack of a better word, uh, of uh, some areas along the right of way in order to build it and to build the not just the trackage but the other equipment, the stations, obviously. Uh, so uh, there will be always there are always environmental opponents uh, for these kinds of large infrastructure projects in Taiwan. They uh, usually don't get their way, though. Uh, the you know, progress marches on. Uh, that means pouring more cement and building more roadways or rail. Always, uh, but you know, the the interesting thing, you know, given the facts that, uh, as you describe them, Gavin, is uh, it will take a number of years to build, and uh, it will cost a lot of money. It would have been cheaper just to hand out everyone a voucher for for a, a, a car service or, or a bus service. Uh, you know, it would be far cheaper for the government to subsidize uh, road transportation, uh, even using electric vehicles, so we could reduce the the, the effect on the environment. Uh, that, than to build this, uh, include, especially when you include all the other costs, uh, such as environmental costs as well. But I start off by saying it's political. And this is about uh, making. Uh, people happy, uh, whether it's residents of Elon who will benefit or people in New Taipei or Taipei who, who could travel faster to Elon and you know trying to build that tourism industry in Elon. So who else will benefit? People in the tourism industry. So hotel owners, restaurant owners uh, in Elon are probably going to be pretty happy about uh, uh, more tourists coming to the area. Uh, so the, we, we should not forget that uh, ultimately this is more about politics than uh, just uh, more convenience uh, for transportation, since there were other alternatives. Yeah, I mean, Ralph, Ralph, other alternatives. Of course, they built this big tunnel and a, and a motorway to Elan a few years ago in the early 2000s, of course, and with the big, the big, the longest tunnel in Taiwan, which, of course, slashed travel time to Elan because you didn't have to go down the old mountain road. I mean, do you think they do you think they need a high speed rail to Elan or do you think, hang on a minute, maybe we should do something else? I don't think they totally, absolutely need it. Uh, Elan is basically. Greater Taipei's backyard. People from here go over there uh, for the weekend, for the half day. They go to have their silks in Jiaoxi. They go to um, you know the, the night market in Luodong. There's a lot of things you can do over there. Um, it's just different from Taipei, as you say. You have the tunnel. It doesn't take very long. Uh, what is it? Um, probably under an hour if you're if there's not too much traffic in there. I suspect and I hope that this extension of the high-speed rail is designed for something bigger, like going down the Hualien and Taidong and then back around to um, Pingdong somewhere and into Boying at the end. Um, I hope it's, it's a link of something that's going to go around the island because a lot of people would like to go 
down to the East Coast. They want to go more often. They want to go without having to book tickets uh, on, on the Taiwan railways or drive <clears throat> on some of the dangerous highways down there. Um, so it would make sense to me as a, as, as a connector of, a, of a, bigger, a bigger scheme, if you will, um, whether it goes through the, the Feitsui catchment, I think they could probably avoid it if they wanted to. You could go around the coast. If, if you take longer, you have to lay more tracks, but there's also more existing tunnels and easements for railway use there already. Um, so I think you know they could satisfy the environmentalists by changing the route, although it would, I suppose, cost more as well. And, of course, Ross Ralph made a comment there about they could extend the high-speed rail to Hualien and Taidong. But, of course, the government recently poo-pooed the idea of extending the high-speed rail to Pingdong. They'll get around to that eventually. Uh, yeah, that, that uh, as, as you and Ralph have been discussing, seems to be the expectation of the public. Uh, uh, so it might be piecemeal. So maybe they will do the extension from Kaohsiung to Pingdong first. And then once there's an extension to Elon, they'll figure out a way and, and, and figure out the financing uh, to connect uh, the entire East Coast. Uh, that, that, that's going to be a, a, a very challenging undertaking for, for the similar reasons, but it might be uh, as in, as in the challenges for Elon, uh, but on, on a greater scale. Uh, uh, because there, you know, there, there's the topography. Uh, there, there'll be the opponents who object uh, on environmental uh, reasons, and then again the the cost reasons as, as well. I mean, the value proposition. Uh, it's going to be a money loser if they do that. Uh, but but I have a feeling, Gavin, they'll they'll eventually do that. Let's say it's finished 15 years from now, and then 30 years from now, uh, the three of us will be talking on Taiwan this week, and we'll be discussing whether or not to extend the high-speed rail right through the central mountain range. That'd be pretty neat. Anyway, quickly before we go this week, the National Taiwan University Science Media Center released the findings of a survey which broke down where people here in Taiwan get their information about science from. Now, according to the university, the internet has emerged as the most common source for such information, used by 58% of the respondents. And that was followed by television with 32% of respondents, printed materials such as books with 15.4% of respondents, magazines at 9.5%, and newspapers, which had 6.1% percent of respondents where they get their science information from so i've got to ask R ralph where do you get your science information from well i get it from books and the internet internet i would break down according to various sources that i can see on the internet the internet is just a vehicle of course it's not a source so but if, if you if, if to use their um to use their pie chart i would have to say internet and books ross uh, I, I tend to get my news either from ICRT or anything that's authored by Ralph Jennings. Ross Feingart was being facetious there. Anyway, in terms of which type of media the respondents to the survey trusted, 32.1% said no media sources are trustworthy, while 36.2% said they trusted television news reports, 20.3% trusted internet reports, and 5.9% trusted newspapers. So, Ralph, which do you trust the best? Well, I'm glad that 0% trusted reports by Ralph Jennings. Good news, so. Hey, I trust them. Well, well, point, point of order. I trust them, Ralph. <laughs> Um, so, um, I, I would be interested to know why they, why people came in that way, especially with the television. And Ross, of course, in terms of media trust, where do you sit in this? I mean, do you sit in the no media is trustworthy, television is trustworthy, internet is trustworthy, or newspapers are trustworthy? Uh, one of the interesting things about that survey is how low newspapers ranked. Uh, would you say was something like five, five? 
A lot of these platforms actually are, 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 it's the same media, right? I mean, you could be watching their news report on television, you could be reading it on the internet, or you could be reading it in the old-fashioned hard copy newspaper, but but a lot of platforms or, or media companies uh, operate across the platform. So it's kind of odd that people would rank them so dramatically uh, differently. But uh, uh, someone my age still has uh, some some memories of when newspapers were uh, uh, you know, were your source of news before the internet, before cable television news. Uh, and also years ago, what we watched on TV or on, on uh, cable uh, was just some boring people reading the news. Uh, hopefully it was factual, but there wasn't the, the, the arguing, the bickering, the, the dramatics that we often see on, on television nowadays. Uh, so uh, it's a bit sad that the, the, the traditional newspaper's uh, perception in the eyes of the public has fallen so far. And that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Ross Feingold. Have a good weekend. And on the telephone by Ralph Jennings. Thanks, Gavin. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcasts on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.